I got the uh, privilege of sharing on turn your block, uh, clocks forward one hour. I'm not too happy about that. I like to sleep in whenever possible. But as you get older, you get used to less sleep, huh? Those of you who are older, you just start getting up earlier and earlier. And then it's always daylight savings time you're getting up. Like, why am I up already? Lord must want me to get up. any rate, enough about sleep. But uh, how y'all doing? I'll say y'all because I lived in Nashville for three months. So I can do that. I can say that. Um, well, we're going to be continuing Ephesians. So get out your Bibles with me. Get out your smartphones and your iPads and all that kind of stuff. Hold them up if you use uh, electronic stuff for your Bible. All right. Well, I'm surprised to see that because a couple weeks ago, Eric, when he was up here, was saying, can't smell Jesus through your, your electronic device like you can in the Bible. Remember that? So anyways, all you guys ignored that comment. All the rest of you brought real Bibles. <laughs> wonder if you can smell Jesus. At any rate. That was Eric's thing, not mine. It's been a blessing, hasn't it, to hear from different people as they share the word through Ephesians as Pastor Brian continues to recover uh, from his vocal cord surgery. Uh, My role, if you're new with us, is uh, I oversee family ministries and kind of help out wherever is needed, and it's been a blessing to be here for a couple decades now with the work that God's doing at Calvary Slow. So just a privilege to share the word this morning, and I consider it a great honor to, to do that. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, 11, starting in verse 11, we're going to go through 16, and um, let's read 11 and 12 first to start out with. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 11, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Let's read that one more time. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All right, so he is obviously writing to Gentiles in this section right here, these couple of verses, he himself coming from a Jewish perspective. And it's really interesting. There's a couple of things that I hope that come uh, from this time in Ephesians this morning, and there's two things that I want to share primarily. But it comes from, let's just start with that first word, therefore. Therefore. What does therefore mean? It means you look and see what just came previous, or in this case, the first two chapters where we're at now, and it's connected, right, with what's about to be stated. It's really important to look at that. We don't want to ignore, especially me as a teacher at this point, the therefore. So let's look at, just go down a few verses to verse 4, okay, in chapter 2. We're going to read 4 through 10 again. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show how the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. How many can boast? No one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you were here last week, Jeff Jackson did a tremendous job of taking those verses and breaking them down for us. One of the things he said is there's a balance between faith and grace being poured upon you richly and works. We don't discount works. They're a result of what God's done in our lives through grace. Uh, It inspires us to do what God planned in advance for us to walk in. So faith is a gift. It's a gift from God. No one can boast. Out of faith comes works that God planned beforehand uh, for us to walk in them. So there's a balance. We don't discount works. We just say it's a product of faith. In fact, James says this 
He says, if you have faith but no works, your faith is what? Dead. So there's, there's no faith. If I don't see works, there's no fruit coming forth from your life. Uh, it's not evidence of anything, but you still need to repent. So that's, there's the balance there. So we're, the therefore in this passage is taking what God has done for us in terms of saving us without us having to earn it. Jesus died in our place so that we could know God, be close to God, in fellowship with the Father. But as Paul's writing to Gentiles, he knows that there's a kind of a gap here of understanding of the magnitude of what that really means. The magnitude of being able to come into God's presence to worship the Lord, the one who resides in the holiest of holies in the temple, in the most holy place. He knows that his, his readers are going to be mostly Gentiles. And, in, and as you read the book of Ephesians, it comes, becomes clear that indeed that's who he's talking to. This passage is basically going to take them back to where they were as Gentile believers. Now, what is a Gentile? Don't want to assume anything here. Just want to explain that a Gentile is just anyone who's not Jewish. Anyone who is Jewish, uh, if you could, it's an honorable thing. If you're Jewish or you have a Jewish uh, family you're born into, raise your hand. In this room, we have a couple. Great. Okay, tremendous. You have great blessing that come comes with that heritage. That doesn't mean that you're saved just because you're Jewish. One of God's chosen people out of Abraham came forth, the Jewish people, that God selected to be his chosen people. We're not going to argue with God. We're not going to say, hey, God, that's unfair. You didn't choose our people. Uh, We're just going to accept it for what it is. God chose a group of people, started with Abraham, and that became the Jewish people. Very special to God's heart. They aren't discounted even now and today. God's very in tune with what's happening in his plans for Israel. But from a Jewish perspective, if you're, if you're a Jew, they had certain uh, understanding of what other people were, and they called them the uncircumcision as a group. They're called the uncircumcision. Paul identifies it right here. If you're a Gentile, that means you're not Jewish. So raise your hand if you're a Gentile, come from a Gentile background. So is today's reading applicable to a majority of people in this room? All right. Now, just because you're from a Jewish background doesn't mean you can kind of say, well, I don't need to listen to this because we're going to set it up in a way that applies to you as well. Paul does a great job of it. I'm just here to reiterate it or emphasize it. So first he says, therefore, remember. Therefore, we've been saved by or through grace, right? That's where we're saved by. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. No one could boast, both the Jew and the Gentile, no one can boast before God. So as as a Jewish person coming from a Jewish household, being taught the Torah, learning the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, those passages, putting them to memory, getting dressed in a certain ceremonial way, observing the Sabbath, observing the Passover, observing Yom Kippur, all those things that you've grown up with as a Jewish person, you cannot boast, according to Paul, in that because you're still saved by grace. It's through faith that that happens. It's a gift of God. You can't boast in that. But as a Gentile, you have much to be humbled by. So the first part is we remember so that we become humble. Okay? We remember to be humble. We're going to look back as Paul is encouraging them to be humbled. Everybody needs to be humbled, yeah? Uh, A heart that's without God tends to be prideful. A heart like mine that's in God still tries to be prideful, right? But we're going to remember so we're humbled. So from a a Gentile background... Let's look at what um, Paul says, okay? So, therefore, remember, at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, okay? He says you were born into a Gentile family. You can't do a thing about that, can you? You didn't say, God, I'd much rather be put in this family as opposed to the family you put me in. You can't do that. You can't argue with God. He just put you in a family. So you're not going to hold your fist up and say, it's not fair. I'm in a Gentile family. No, we're going to acknowledge that we were from a Gentile background, but you can't control that. That's just something that God chose to do in his sovereignty. He says, you guys were born in a Gentile families. You were of the flesh. Next is you were known by Jews as the uncircumcision, grouped together. You were labeled. You were somewhat stereotyped as a group. You were dismissed. Uh, you were looked down upon in many cases. You know, there was a prayer by, that was known to many uh, on the part of Jewish leaders that would say, I'm glad I wasn't born, God, a Gentile. I'm glad I wasn't born a woman. I'm glad I wasn't born, et cetera, et cetera. 
There was just some pride that came with that. So the uncircumcision was a fact, but it was also a term that was steeped in I'm better than you or could become a spiritual pride issue that God hates. Any blessing, any favor, anything that we're given by God is not meant to puff us up. It's meant us to be thankful and humble and appreciative, right? Grace leads that. You've been given grace. It should not make you puffed up. It shouldn't make you look down on other people, especially those that don't have the blessing of having God active in their lives. It's a reason for us to be just on our knees saying, God, why me? How can you chose me? Why am I safe? It's a blessing not to pump us up. Now, just a little bit on circumcision. Uh, it's an interesting thing, huh? I mean, some things you've heard a lot about, some things you may, maybe the first time you've heard of this, but God wanted his people, starting with Abraham and Abraham's sons, in Genesis 17, he meets with, Je- with Abraham and he explains something very amazing. He says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. You're going to have a lot of kids. You're going to have a lot of descendants. You're going to see that your lineage grows and grows and grows over time. But it's not just going to be numbers. It's going to be faith-filled numbers. You're going to have a special privilege where I'm going to make a nation out of you, and your nation is going to be a blessing to all the other nations. Your your heritage is going to be one of favor and blessing, and you're you're to be a blessing to everyone else. It wasn't just so they could hunker down and say, we are the blessed ones and point the finger at everybody else. But in some ways, it had become that in saying, we're the circumcised ones because God's put that as a sign of the covenant in Genesis 17 that we should have all males be circumcised um, as a sign of the covenant. Covenant of what? That God has promised us to bless us with a heritage, a nation, also to bless us with land, being the area of Israel, much bigger than it is today, that was blessed, promised by God. And the fact that he would be their God and they would be his people. That was, that was the covenant. But it was, it was heavy on the God part, very light on our part, even though it was a pretty peculiar thing that he had us do. If I'm from a Jewish background, I'm saying that. Is that he says the sign of this covenant will be that you'll get circumcised. All the males in your household. And, uh, and Abraham obeyed him. Man, I, there's some things that I just uh, stand in awe of. The fact that Abraham obeyed him, got circumcised as an old man, and then circumcised those in his household, that, 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 I'm impressed by that. That's, that's a lot of faith, isn't it? It's like it's one thing to say, are you a follower of God? Yes, you shall be circumcised. Oh, wow. Man. Um, enough on that. At any rate... Now, it was, get this, you guys, if you think about it, no one would know, right? If you have clothes on, no one's going to know if you're circumcised or not. If you don't know what circumcision is, by the way, those of you who have a smartphone, don't look it up. <laughs> I was just going to say, look it up. Don't look it up. Just uh, follow the, the description. But um, it was a cutting off, right? It was a cutting off. And it was symbolic, not just to say there. But God says later on in his word in the Old Testament, it was all about the circumcision of the heart. He just didn't want something to happen in the outside made by hands. Paul identifies it in Ephesians as this was done by hands of men. This wasn't a spiritual act. It was a man-made thing in obedience to the Father. But, it, but unless your heart was circumcised, unless it was cut away, unless there was something that happened in the heart, your circumcision, as Paul described, in another place is of worth of nothing. There was, there was, if there's not a work here, it doesn't matter what you do by the hands of men, it doesn't mean anything in the God economy that we live in. You with me? So it was a sign. It was a sign of God's promises to the people. And he says, you guys were grouped together as the uncircumcised. That was just another term to describe the fact that you didn't have that covenant. You stood outside of the promises of God. You weren't a part of the people that were blessed by God to be his people. You were outside of that. You didn't even understand what circumcision meant. That God was for you. That he was doing something in you. And most of all, in the heart. Also, 
He wants them to remember, to be humbled, that they were just without Christ, he puts it. He says, you, you were part of the uncircumcision group, and remember that you were separated from Christ. You were distant from him. You weren't close together as you, were, as you are now. Remember that. Next, he says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were a stranger to the covenants of promise. Kind of gives you that image of you're, you're, you're a distance away. You, you don't share in the blessings of Israel. You're, you were, you were at, the, at the place of just totally being strangers of the covenants. Guys, think about that for a second. Um, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Wouldn't have an idea about what that is. Uh, uh, the Passover, the miraculous deliverance of God sending his people into, out of slavery into a land of blessing. They wouldn't know what that Passover uh, celebration was, was about. They didn't understand how it was important from God's perspective to rest in the Sabbath and to set aside as holy. They didn't have the Ten Commandments. They didn't know what it was to celebrate this and that and the other. And so Paul's just acknowledging it for what it is. If you don't have that blessing, then it's not as big a blessing, <laughs> right? You're not as in the know. You don't have this missing puzzle piece. You know, like you have the last piece ready to go in your puzzle. Well, God had set it up in such a way that Jesus made that puzzle become whole. In him coming in prophecy, him coming in the foretold, foretelling through the prophets, through the law, through the Torah, that there's someone that's going to be the Lamb of God during the Passover. There's someone that's going to be the sacrifice to make Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, actually mean something in the spiritual realm. You would mean you didn't have that. You were strangers to it. Just like you would be aliens geographically. If you didn't live in a country, you'd be strangers and aliens in the spiritual sense. Because of that, he ends that verse 12 saying, guys, you didn't have hope. Now just for a second, chew on that. Many of us, especially those of us who came to faith in Christ at a later date, you know what that means in a real heartfelt way. Just didn't have hope. Why? If there's no God, if there's no forgiveness for my sin, I'm just a real small speck on a real small planet in a real small solar system amongst billions of others. And, and the more you find out about what's out there, the more small you become. And the more small you become, unless God's in the picture giving you value, you're actually very insignificant. And life, there's no God, is utterly meaningless. Meaning you can enjoy all you can right now, but in the end you die anyways. And, and to have that filled in with different things of appeasing the gods if you're Romans or Greeks or, or, or having to do this or that and the other for these different things that didn't have any guarantees with it at all. Quite the opposite. You didn't want to anger the gods. You just didn't have hope. Now Paul's saying, I want you to remember all these things because in essence you were without God in the world. You didn't have God as part of your life. Why would Paul make it such depressing statements as those first two verses in this section? He says, therefore, remember. Why do we remember, guys? Where we've been. How we were outside the promises of God. How before we were Christians, we were standing in a place of hopelessness. Why would he want us to go back into those memories? Wouldn't you think Paul would spend most of his time encouraging you of all the good things? Well, sometimes you have to remember all the things that you didn't have. Top of the list, salvation. Through forgiveness of your sin. To actually have right worship in the reality that you are saved. Right? You want to worship rightly, you go back to where you were. It's interesting, in the book of, of Revelation, when Jesus talks about this church, this Ephesian church, he uses the same word. He says, remember, therefore, where you've fallen. And go back and repent, go back to your first love. He says the same word, remember. Why? Because it puts us on our knees and makes us humble. There's no room, you guys, at all for pride in the faith. No room. In fact, God said in his word, I resist the proud. I give grace to the humble. When you remember, it's with a purpose. 
Now, it's not condemnation. It's not to say, wow, thanks, Paul. Uh, I guess I just miss out on all the blessings of God. No, because here come the next verses. One more thing, actually, before we get to the good stuff. When it says you were far off, okay, you were far off geographically. If you were in the land of, of, of this church, in this area of the world, if you look at a map today, I didn't put one in the slide, but if you did, you'd see, man, it doesn't look that far from Ephesus, where this church would be, that Paul's writing to you, and actually Israel or Jerusalem, the capital, right, where they could go see for themselves some of these things going on, like celebration of Yom Kippur or Day, Day of Atonement or, or celebrate Passover or even visit the temple as it, as it stood there in Jerusalem. They, they, geographically, now we think, ah, just take, a, just take a short flight, you know, just get on a plane and you're there. You know, 2,000 years ago, not many people traveled that far from their homes. Well, you can understand why. It took a lot of time. It took a lot of time away from what you would be doing in your craft or your farming or your dairy cows or whatever you're working on, your building, your business. That all survived on you and your family primarily. So when you were leaving somewhere as a journey like that, it wasn't very common that you saw that happen. So literally when you said you're far off, they were far off from Jerusalem. They really were far away. And many of them had not experienced those kinds of things being observed with an eye. They may have heard it from their Jewish friends. As God brought them into one church, they may have heard stories about the temple and its grandeur. You guys remember when Jesus was walking with some guys and the disciples said, Man, look at this temple, Jesus. This is insane. That's my paraphrase. This is insane. This is sick. Have you seen this temple, Jesus, you know? And he was like, you know, I'll tell you the truth. You destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. You know, that kind of response. Like Jesus just had a perspective on this whole thing. But from a Jewish perspective, that was the center point of worship, was it not? You couldn't get any closer to God. So they were far off from Jerusalem. They were far off from the temple. They were far off from understanding of everything except for what they had gleaned from those people that were in the church that were Jewish. You see, guys, before this, they wouldn't even have cared. I mean, we have news flooding our senses today about people everywhere. But when it comes down to it, a lot of times we just turn off the Internet or we turn off the newscast, and that's the end of our care about that part of the world, especially the farther away it is. It's just there's only so much information we can handle. And this day it was like, ah, yeah, whatever they're doing in Jerusalem, we're, that's so far removed from me. What is reality is this big temple for Artemis or Diana. That's right here. That's who I worship, or that's who I came from worshiping. That's reality to me. I don't know what you're talking about, this other temple, but it's, have you seen this Diana thing? It's pretty impressive. That's what they lived in. That was their reality. So let's go on to the good news. Everybody take a collective side. We're going to remember, this time we're going to remember to be thankful. First was to be humbled. That's why Paul's doing it. All of you Gentiles, hope you're humbled right now. That was reality for all of us. But now we get to go into remembering to be thankful. Verse 13, look at it with me if you would. But now in Christ Jesus, but now the present reality in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. What is he talking about there? He's talking about one new man. Jew and Gentile were two men. He's bringing them together as one man in the place of two. Very similar to what he does when people get married. There's two people that enter in that covenant. There's one person that leaves. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. To catch that, he says, one body, broken, broken, allowed for two bodies to become one body. Jew and Gentile, coming to Jesus, makes it possible for them to not be separated anymore, not to be uncircumcised and circumcised, not one better, one inferior, not one generalized, the other one dismissed, not one bitter towards the other. Gosh, those Jewish people are all looking down at me and they can't, I can't do this and I can't do that. You know, there's, 
He's just putting an end to all of it through Christ. Paul's just saying through Christ is where it happens. And you guys, as a parenthetical note, that's how it happens today in our lives, doesn't it? If Jesus is somewhere in the perimeter, your difficulties and your bitterness and your anger and your resentment have no place to find their self. But when you put Jesus in the middle and you come to him, it's amazing what kind of reconciliation can take place. I had the privilege one time of doing a wedding for a gentleman. I think I shared this before maybe in past messages, but it just comes as such a shining example to me of God's work of bringing two, one. I did a wedding. I was asked to do it, and they're like, hey, you know, um, uh, we've been divorced for 10 years. We want to get remarried. Yes. Yes, I want to do that wedding. Absolutely. That's the kind of reconciliation. You know, 10 years of being apart, different states, there's a lot of bitterness in there. Can you imagine? There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain you have to get over. But to do a wedding ceremony for what was now their second, but now in Christ, they were brought close. Beautiful thing. To be able to say, you know what it means to have covenants broken, but in Christ, you're not going to break it anymore. A few years later, the groom passed away, and they made it to death do we part. In Christ, I did the memorial for him. And just to be able to say, I've seen God do a miracle where he can put enmity to rest and kill it, as he says here. Killing the hostility. That's the only place it comes from. You put Jesus in the middle of any relationship, any hurt, any pain, pain of adultery, pain of gambling, pain of alcoholism, pain of of just swindling, pain of lying to each other. In any relationship, just letting each other down in marriage is enough to kill a marriage and that bitterness to rise up, even from the first days of of being married. But Jesus, in the middle of that, you too are reminded, no, we're one in Christ. And he has given us a privilege of being close to each one of us and as a married couple or as roommates or as churches that hurt you or leaders that have hurt you or whatever. Isn't that great hope to know? You go to Jesus, you'll be on the fast track towards reconciliation. Amen? Amen. Nod. Nod. Say amen. Amen. Need Jesus, don't we? Does it happen very easily without him? Mm -mm. And if you're not a Christian today, I don't don't honestly have much hope for you to reconcile at all. Because it's just based in goodwill, good intentions. And you know what? If you're like me, here's my goodwill and my good intentions based on what's happening in the day. Right? But you go to Jesus, and he, he puts the whole, later on he says that Jesus is the cornerstone. That cornerstone, a little preview of weeks to come, is where you set that first stone, and it's going to determine what line the walls take. And you want that to be in the right place. Like, Jesus is a cornerstone. If he's not in your life, you don't have anything but guessing on how the walls are being set up for your house. If you put Jesus at the cornerstone and you go off of him, your house will be in order. Just like he said, you hear my words and do them, you're just like the person who built their house on the rock. If you're not, you're just like the person who built their house but put it on quicksand or beach or swift, you know, changing underneath you and it's going to crash. And great is its crash. So if you guys are struggling right now with any relationship, I don't care what it is, what's been done, what's transpired, Jesus in the middle can kill the hostility. Because he's bringing Jew circumcision And he's grafting in Gentile uncircumcision and say, you guys are brothers and sisters now. If he can do it with them, and if church in Ephesus is evidence, he could do it for all of us in Christ. So remember, you're now in Christ Jesus. So we have everything we need in Christ Jesus to walk in that reconciliation with God first and with each other. Look at some of these other benefits to be thankful for. We're remembering to be thankful. We're now in Christ Jesus. Next is we've been brought near by his blood. He is our peace. We've been brought near by his blood. Why does Paul talk about blood here? Well, it's in the case of something that we're going to talk about in just a second. So hold that thought. He says, you've been brought near by his blood. That's what was the agent that brought you close. He is our peace, capital P. He is our peace. It's different than just having shalom. It's He embodies peace. We bring Jesus into our lives. We put him as Lord of our lives. 
you inherently have the Prince of Peace in your life. Thereby, things that come about you or upon you to undermine what would be temporal peace is no longer possible because you are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are in capital P, peace. Because he's killed the enmity between wrath that was upon your life and other people, enmity and bitterness. He is the capital P, peace. He is the one you start with to get the fast track to reconciliation. He's made the Jews and Gentiles one family. Some of you guys uh, may not be too happy about this, but you will spend eternity with people around you right now as well as other people in Jesus. Just a little preview. <laughs> there was one, one time fairly recently where I was really struggling. Actually uh, taught soon after that. It was divine appointment on the passage I was talking about. But at the time, I really needed wisdom from the, the guys that I was with. It happens to be a little elders retreat and uh, this rings true in that way because I was like, okay, I have tremendous amount of pain right now, tremendous amount of bitterness right now. I know I'm struggling with it. And I was like, guys, uh, you just need to pray for me. I can't even focus right now. You just need to pray for me. And it was interesting because Pastor Brian, in his wisdom in that moment, it was just a vessel of truth to me. And he says, you know, you're going to be, this person was a Christian that I was struggling with. He said, you're going to be in heaven with him. You're going to be in heaven with him. And you're going to sit across the table from him at the wedding feast. And you need to re- reverse engineer to today so that you get to a place where your heart's soft. And, and I added to that, you know what? As, as I was just taking in those words of gold at the time, I was like, you know, not only are we going to be there face to face in heaven together, but um, we got there the same way. You know, we got there the same way. No one can boast. No one's better than each other, than any other person. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say there's no male or female. There's no slave or, Greek, or slave or free. There's no Jew or Gentile. We're all one. There's one baptism, one faith, one forgiveness of sins. You know, that, that happens. We're, we're here the same way we got here because we were forgiven. Now look at this next one. He's destroyed the middle wall of separation. He broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. I want to show you a slide here so you can get the impact of this from a Jewish perspective. Herod's temple is illustrated here. Um, this would not be possible to be seen today because it was destroyed a couple thousand years ago. But this was a, a rendition of what it would have been like on the Temple Mount. The stars, the blue stars, I know you can't read the text. It's so small. That's why I put the stars there. That would be the court of the Gentiles. It's outside, obviously, the middle part, which is another set of buildings and colonnades and then the white building in the back is the temple itself the stars being the court of the gentile that's where jesus got really upset and he said you guys have made this in basically a den of thieves it's supposed to be my father's ordained it as a, as a place of prayer for the nations you guys remember that he got fired up our savior went off in a perfect way <laughs> because he was so vehemently passionate about people of all nations, not just the Jews. All nations have a place on the Temple Mount, close to the Temple, okay? But there are limitations to that. You as a Gentile could not go into that opening, kind of if you go this way, there's that opening that starts the whole process towards the Temple. It was walled around. This is what he's talking about, the wall of separation. The red triangle is the area that would be the court for women, Men and women could be in there. But that was specifically as far as women can go. To that next section, the green square is the next section where men and priests would go to worship God. But it was still outside the what? The temple. Which inside the temple we know had two main areas. There was the holy place and there was the most holy place. Or the holiest of holies. That is where God said, I will meet you. 
But I only meet one of you, and I only meet one of you once a year. And it was the day of Yom Kippur, where the high priest, who was someone who came on behalf of the people, confessing sin for himself and the people, would go before a holy God. And what did he have to have with him in order to enter that holiest of holies? He had to have blood. If he did not enter with blood, as God ordained it, he would die. If he didn't have confessed sin, he would die. If he went in, they would tie a rope to him and pull him out if he died because they couldn't go in. It was only for one person once a year, and that was a high priest, could go inside the temple, inside the most holy place where God's presence was. Now, how did Jesus divide or abolish the ordinances that would keep separation with people? Go to the next slide. This is a picture of a plaque that was placed on that first uh, entrance area, right, right next to the entrance to the women's court. Okay? It says this, no foreigner, another word for Gentile, this was written in Greek. They found this in 1871, actually. They found a Greek one that was written on, the, on it so that people would understand it, right? If you're a Gentile, you knew Greek. No foreigner or Gentiles go beyond the balustrade and the plaza of the temple zone. So in other words, you have your plaza, you have your court of the Gentiles. No one's going to go beyond that. This is a warning. Whoever is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. So if you're a Gentile and you are marched right in, well, hey, I have a right as everybody else does. There's a firm warning here that if you went in the court of women, then you would be killed. And it was on your own head. You, you, blood was on your own hands. So this was kind of the pinnacle of being outsiders, wouldn't you say? I mean, if somebody says, if you're, well, in my case, if you're Mexican, you cannot come into this church building or you're going to die. I would feel pretty upset about that. It's like, you know, why can't they pick another people group? It's always the Mexicans. But at any rate... <laughs> I haven't suffered much. You just when you're cut when you're kept out of somewhere that you want to go, you're naturally bent out of shape about that. Am I right? Um, we've had whole movements in our country trying to break those walls down. Civil rights, you know, case in point. But in this case, it was preserving the lives of those who would read the warning. See, this is an act of grace, just like. The act of grace in the original Garden of Eden. When God, after Adam and Eve had sinned, what did he do? He kicked them out. Right? Why? Because his presence was in the garden. And his presence plus sin equals judgment. Judgment equals death. If you had somebody unknowing of the customs, of, the, of, of what's required for someone to be in a certain place, even not even in the temple itself, but outside those courts, in the court of the women or the court of the men, and they just happen to stumble based on ignorance, God still is going to judge them. The people are going to judge them, and God will judge them. So he didn't want that. And that was the outcrop of this. But you still felt like an outsider when you read this. I cannot go close to God. Now, the reality here, guys, especially from a Jewish perspective, why Paul would keep them humble is to say, you guys can't go as close as you want to God, right? Go back to that other slide, will you, the previous one? If you're a woman, you could only go as far as the triangle. If you're a man and you really worship God, you had a pure heart and everything, and you could only stay outside the temple itself. So there was barriers all the way around for everyone. It was just a matter of where you're allowed to go. And so what, I'm, what my point is here is that For Paul, he's going to say, you guys, all walls, all separation places, all places of distinction based on inferior reasons to be distincted, distincted, you know what I'm saying, Um, they've been abolished through Christ who died for us. Why? What happened uh, when Christ gave up his spirit? You guys remember what the count was in the Gospels? What was torn but the veil separating the holy place from the most holy place? You guys, it wasn't bottom to top. It was top to bottom. That's very specific in the text. 
telling us that God himself was now seeing the price has been paid in full. Jesus has given his own body for the forgiveness of mankind, and now there's no barrier. God's going to show that he's the one that tore down the wall of separation through Christ, who Paul says here, he abolished the law of commandments. He abolished the, the commandments expressed in ordinances so that what? So that there would be no hindrance to anyone, Jew or Gentile, to coming to God, being forgiven of, them, of their sin, regardless of how much little or much they knew about the Jewish faith. That was set up for the Savior to come as a fulfillment of that heritage. So it's both glorious and unnecessary at the same time. You with me? Both glorious and really not necessary at the same time. This buildup of God and the fullness of time to send his son as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in perfect culmination, perfect fulfillment of everything that had been handed down in the law and the commandments and the Torah and the Jewish faith. Generation after generation after generation, you, you're blessed by having that, but it's not necessary. Guys, nothing we do is, 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 is ever going to win us breaking down barriers we can never break down. If we tried to on our own, we would die. But God, praise God, we remember Jesus' broken body is what we go through. His blood over our lives, cleansing us from all sin. We have ability now to go into the holiest of holies, even us Gentiles. It's crazy how God, in his ultimate wisdom, could set up such a beautiful picture of the heavens and the reality of the heavens and the situation of how our sin affects the whole thing with a man-made building as the temple. If you read the book of Hebrews, I encourage you guys, if you haven't read the book of Hebrews, dive in. It's all about explaining what all this means, starting with the tabernacle and then its permanent place, the temple. And you actually get an understanding, my goodness, Lord, you put so much thought and intention. Why? Because it's a reflection of what's the reality in your presence, in the actual throne room of God, the holy of holies. This was an inferior place to the actual throne room of God, but it does represent the reality that we can't just bust in as we just, you know, it's our desire, so we're going to come close. We would die in his presence without the, the, the blood of, of God being shed for us. Okay, you guys didn't check out, right? You guys were with me? See how amazing this is? See how Paul puts this out for them? Why? So they would be humble and they would be thankful. So he's brought the Jew and Gentile together in one body, his church, his beloved, whom he loves, his, his bride. Now they're two or one. He's reconciled us to God in one body through the cross. And finally, he's ended hostility or hatred between the two groups. Because when your family, it's tough to hate. It is tough to dismiss. Um, guys, I want to read Romans 3, 1 through 31 to you real quick in closing here. Paul in Romans, he writes this letter and he says, just listen to this. You can turn there if you want, but he kind of just says what I'm sure a lot of you or at least as readers would think. Okay, if all this is true, was all the Jewish customs and all the festivals and all my upbringing as a Jew, is that for naught? He would say this way. He says, what advantage then in chapter 3 of Romans has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our righteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? And he's saying, I'm speaking as a man. Certainly not. Then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? It's a natural question to ask. And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? Are the Jews better? Not at all. For we previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. How many righteous? None. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. Their throats an open tomb with their tongues. They have practiced deceit. 
Their poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, they're in a bad place, regardless of their history, you know, what family they're born into, right? Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, humbled, humbled, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is knowledge of sin. Paul is a leading Jew. He is saying that he's been trained in the pharisaical way and been trained up since childhood. And he's saying, therefore, the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. It's amazing. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by the grace through the redemption, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood. That's propitiation, wrath absorber. Jesus was the wrath absorber by spilling his blood. He says, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Listen to this in closing. Where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what? Law or works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. It's best of every world, isn't it? We have the law. It's been gifted to the Jews. Praise the Lord. They are in such uh, possession of the oracles of God to be passed on generation to generation. And get you this, when you have the generations of heritage and teaching of the beauty of God and His holiness and His will for families, especially family to family, you're going to have legacy of blessing that the Gentiles did not have. There's a bigger learning curve with the Gentiles, right? It's just that you both need faith. It's both through faith. So are there still advantages to be Jewish? Yes and no. (laughs) Yes and no. You can't bank on it. Well, I'm a Jew, therefore God loves me. No, it's through faith, right? Or... I don't need that stuff. I'm a Gentile. No. Be grateful because as the more you grow in your understanding of what God did through the Jews and in the ordinances like Yom Kippur, Passover, all those things, you will be, by definition, blessed. I want to tell you one last thing. The, the Passover, when John the Baptist was on the scene with his disciples, it's very, very interesting to me that when John the Baptist was with his disciples, he literally just said to his disciples, he had so trained them, so prepped them, for the fulfillment of the Messiah coming on the scene in fulfillment of the Passover lamb, he just had to say these words as recorded in the New Testament. He says, there he is. That's the one. He is the Lamb of God who takes away sin in the world. And what happened? His disciples were so primed, so steeped in expecting this Lamb of God to take away the sin in the world, unlike bulls and rams year after year being offered in the temple, year after year after year after year, Right? He was so primed. They just, the New Testament just clear. It says that they left him and followed Jesus. It was like they were so primed to know the Passover lamb, he's really here, and he really is the one who can take away sin of the whole world. You need to go to him. And they left. They went and followed Jesus. How come? Because they knew the ordinance of God. They knew the scene was perfect and ripe. As trained by John the Baptist in this instance, for the true Lamb of God that was going to come save us. I want to be by that Lamb. And knowing that He was the Lamb of God, generation, year after year after year of Passover lambs being brought in in celebration of being delivered from Egypt into the promised land of blessing, year after year after year. This is another reason why you need to read the book of Hebrews. It talks about if that was enough to forgive us our sin, it wouldn't be done year after year. There hasn't been a temple for close to 2,000 years, you guys. And it hasn't mattered one iota. Why? Because the true Lamb of God, the true Yom Kippur has taken place. 
the true day of atonement, the propitiation, the wrath absorbing of Christ that he did on our behalf has been done. And now we put our faith and trust in that finished work, in that perfect lamb. Nothing left to do but just be humbled and be thankful. Be humbled by that amazing act. God, on your behalf, dying for you, be humbled by that. Let pride be far from you, especially in terms of relationships. Don't have pride to keep forgiveness from other people because all you're doing is saying, oh, that was great, Jesus, but I'm just going to keep this pride thing and bitterness thing and envy and all the rest to myself. You know, you, thanks for the sacrifice, but how can you do that to a brother or sister in light of that? You're humbled. And when you're humbled, you're ripe for reconciliation. And you're thankful. Humbled and thankful. Amen? It's a beautiful thing God has done on our behalf. Let's all stand together. Worship team will come up. In the back, we do have uh, stations for communion where you can go and celebrate uh, with your family or group in the lamb being slain for you. Uh, We ask that you only do this if you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, that reality or that symbolism does not speak of reality true for you yet. But here's the nice thing. This table is open to anyone who would humble themselves before God and say, God, please forgive me. I'm in need of the blood of the Lamb. I'm in need of forgiveness. I want to have faith uh, where you are my Lord and I'm done serving myself. That could be your vehicle, if you will, to the first communion table in your life. Um, It's between you and your pride. You're going to hold your pride, it'll keep you at bay. It's another marker on the wall currently, isn't it? Don't take the communion. Don't bring judgment on yourself. But the nice thing is Jesus has broken down every wall barrier. So you can, by faith, come to him and just say, God, please forgive me through your son Jesus and the sacrifice on the cross. For all of us, Jesus said this word, remember. Take the communion and remember what he's done for you so that you can be humbled and thankful. Amen? Let's pray. God, we, we, uh, we're, we're indebted to you. You have done everything to save and we thank you that, that Jew and Gentile alike can come together in one family. Injured party and offending party come together in one community table. Uh, Lord, bring destruction and, and abolish the hostility in our hearts. And um, we just rejoice in the fact that we have a Savior that laid down your life that you were the suffering servant. As a sheep before a shear is a silent, you did not open your mouth because you loved us that much. As you were dying on, on the cross, Jesus, we, we recognize that you've done everything for us. So I pray for my brothers and sisters here and for those who are soon to be, Lord willing, brothers and sisters, that you would abolish basically bitterness in our hearts. Every remnant of pride, let it be done away with. And let us with Paul and the church in Ephesus stand in awe of the sacrifice that you've made on our behalf. We love you, Jesus. We worship you now.